We spend our entire lives looking for love, acceptance, and forgiveness. But we have found a place where we can be unconditionally accepted without reservation, a place where there are no strings attached. There's a place that you and I can find ourselves that we don't have to prove anything to ourselves or to anyone else. A place where we can find and live without the fear of who we once were because we can stand confident in who we now are and thankful in who we're yet going to be. We have this place. Folks, when I talk about the love of God, I get a little excited. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, Hebrews 4, just quickly this morning, and I've clearly stated many times in this church over the years that our Christian view is continually under assault by the worldview that society has opted to take. The world tries to impress upon us that God is somebody you can't ever please. That's why you have agnosticism and you have Gnosticism. Agnosticism just basically says there is no God. And if there was, you couldn't even know him. Gnosticism basically says that there could be a God, but there is no way to know him. Well, Christianity says there is a God and you can know him intimately. But the world continually propels us into this idea that we can't please God and, and literally at the, at the stroke of a hammer, he will disown us. Yet, this is not the God we serve. And this morning, if I do anything at all, I want to bring us a new and fresh understanding of the God we live for because he died for us. How much he really loves us. And to help us to understand the love that God has and gives is one that literally has no strings attached. Look at somebody and say, that is good for me. A love that truly is unconditional. I shared this little story many years ago, and if you're a person with a good memory, you'll remember the story. There is a a newspaper article placed about a dog that was lost. And the ad read this, lost one dog, brown hair, several bald spots, right leg was broken due to an auto accident, rear hip is hurt, right eye was missing, and left ear was bitten off in a dog fight. Help me find him. He answers to the name of Lucky. 
A great man of old, many, many years ago, he made a statement about this unconditional love that is literally without reservation. He said, through setting his own love on men, and I left this in your notes purposely. I want you to grab a hold of this. Setting his own love on men, God voluntarily bound up his own final happiness in ours. Think about that for a second. God bound up all of his happiness in you and me. And he will not know perfect and unmixed happiness again until every one of us are home with him. That's the love of the God that we serve. I want to take you into Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to give you one of the most explicit verses that gives an idea of the love God wrapped up in his son, Jesus Christ. Look at this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And listen to what it says. It declares that he is the great high priest, It says that he has gone from heaven to earth. He's gone through all the different things. And it says, hold fast in that commitment, that dedication, that faith that we profess. And then it goes on to say these words, we do not have, underline those words, we do not. For we do not have a high priest. And underline these words, who is unable to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. For we have one who, a high priest, who, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was tempted in every way just as we are. I don't know if I left that underlined in your notes, but if I didn't, please underline it. And if I did, take a pencil and circle it. Who has been tempted in every area just as you are, just as I am. Yet, with out sin. Every area. Look at me. Look at me. You say, Pastor, this area? Yep. What about that area? Yep. What about the other? Yep. Every area. Look at somebody and say, yeah, but maybe not that area. Yep. Every area he was tempted, just like you, just like me, yet without Sin. This is the high priest we serve. This is the God we serve. So what does it say? So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. You've been there, done that? Places you don't want to really happily say, yep, that was me. How many went down so far that up was the only way you could look? How many are there right now? We have a great high priest who is touched, has been tempted in every area, yet he never gave in. And because of that, you who might have given in, you who might have struggled, you who might have went down so far that the last count was 10 counts ago, he said, you can still approach the throne of God with confidence that you might receive mercy and find grace in that time of need. This is the God we serve. Can I hear you say amen? amen. This is the God that in, Cal, in a place called Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, he said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me.
This was the Lord, our God, the name Jesus, the Son of God, who died and gave him place. And the Bible says there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This is the Lord that at Calvary said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then he realized the forsakenness was you and I. God said, I'm turning my back that you can take their sin. The Bible says God cannot look on sin. And for the first time in all of eternity, God turned his back on his son. And he did that for the person sitting in your chairs. Can somebody say amen? Quickly, just for a moment, God loves us unconditionally without reservation. Most of us spend our entire lives looking for love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Years ago, I used to play in the nightclubs, as most of you know, and I sang this song. It was called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. How many know the song? How many live the song? Yeah. Okay. Better open the altars up real quick here. Uh, uh. We spend our entire lives looking for love, acceptance, and forgiveness. But we have found a place where we can be unconditionally accepted without reservation, a place where there are no strings attached. There's a place that you and I can find ourselves that we don't have to prove anything to ourselves or to anyone else. A place where we can find and live without the fear of who we once were because we can stand confident in who we now are and thankful in who we're yet going to be. We have this place. Folks, when I talk about the love of God, I get a little excited. You know why? Because I know that I am not deserving of it. We have this place. And you know what this place is called? In God. Let me take you. I've got a lot of scripture I put in your notes there, but look what it says. In God, we find our strength. In God, we find our hope. In God, we find our boasting. In God, is somebody hearing this this morning? We find our praise. In God, we find our rest. In God, we find our rejoicing. In God, we find our trust, our strength, our victory, our deliverance. In God, we find our joy. Folks, there's sometimes that I I don't have a lick of joy. And I come back to that place in God, and happiness overwhelms me. Why? Because in God is where my faith stands. Come on, give him praise, church. The thing that I've learned that whoever lives in love lives in in God, and God lives in him. Romans 5, 8. You see what I understand is that if all these things I just said are true and the Bible declares they are, why, why are we trying to prove anything? Why are we trying to find love, acceptance, and forgiveness? I love the, the honesty of our children. You know, I say that respectfully, young men and women. I don't, you know, to me, you're all children, okay? Even Adam and Mary might be children me. I don't know. Adam's pretty old, so maybe not. But, but 
I, I appreciate their honesty. They, they could just come clean up here and say, you know, this is what was happening to me. And I got to a place in God where God showed up at a place called Pondo in Black Bear, where God came and, been, and, and, and showed up and lifted up some kids to where they, some committed their lives the first time, recommitted their lives the second, third, or fourth time. But the reality, they found a place in God to where they could become real. Don't have to prove anything to anyone. Look at Romans 5. God proved his love to us. Underline these words, while you were yet a sinner. Look at somebody and say, when I was ugly, he still looked at me beautifully. While I was still a sinner, Christ died. Isn't somebody in this room happy that he didn't wait for you to get cleaned up? I ask people all the time, they say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm too bad to go to church. I, I've done too much. I've done, and I just turn to them many times and I ask them a simple question. Do you take a bath? And they look at me kind of like you're looking at me now. Did they smell bad or something? Have you ever taken a bath? And they said, sure. When's the last time you got cleaned up to take a bath? Now, I know some of you type A's out there, you probably did. I, I don't hire a house cleaner for my wife because I know it would be blowing money, because she would clean the house spotless before the person ever got there. How many of you wives know what I'm talking about? So why spend the money? She would say, honey, take me to dinner. Don't spend the money. So, But I asked them, have you ever got cleaned up to take a bath? And they said, of course not. And I say, that's the same way of going to church. God doesn't want you to get cleaned up. He wants you to come smelling. He wants you to come dirty. He wants you to come however. He just wants you to come. See, this is the love, the unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We spend so much time trying to prove our love to others, trying to find this place. When God says, you don't need to prove your love to me. a matter of fact, if you'll give me your life and you just live for me, I will prove my love to you without reservation. The psalmist wrote it this way. He parted the heavens and he came down. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because, and underline this in your notes, please, he delighted in me. What is he saying? He's saying, I, I literally came to the place you were to help you to come to the place I am. Have you ever found a child that was crying or something like that, and you took that child and you would just stoop down to where he is at to encourage, to help? Have you ever done that with a child? Maybe your child, somebody else's child. You know why you stooped down? You wanted to get to where they were to let them understand, I'm with you. And then through the encouragement, what do you try to do? You try to lift them to the place where you are. Many times, that child will physically lift up just to console, just to encourage, just to strengthen. Did you know 2,000 years ago, the father said, son, we need to stoop down that we can let them know that we know where they're at. And Jesus did. He stooped to the lowest place he could 
and he hugged and he encouraged and he caressed and he lifted, lifted them so high that one day at a place called Calvary, he said, I'm going to stretch out my hands and die for you that I can lift you back into the arms of my Father. Can somebody say amen? See, this is the picture of the love that we have for God. Number two, quickly, he created us, he knows us, and he still loves us. It has been said that a friend is somebody that knows who you really are and still likes you. See, this is our Savior, isn't it? He knows who we really are. Look at somebody and says, oops. He knows who you really are. He knows where you've really been. But he said, if you'll let me, I'll get you to go someplace you never thought you could go. The 103rd Psalm again. He says, the, like the, Lord has, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender, compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. There's nothing. It's in your notes there. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. You could be the best guy in church, and he's not going to love you more than the worst guy in church. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. You can be the worst guy in the church, and he's not going to love you any less than the best guy in the church. This is the God we serve. Am I doing a good job of helping us to understand His unconditional love without reservation. You see, it's impartial, it's everlasting, it's infinite, it is perfect, it has no strings attached to it. A story I read one time about a father that was waking up, waking up, woken up, one of those words, in the middle of the night. On the other end of the phone was a groggy, was a, excuse me, a a, a distraught little girl who managed to get the words out, Daddy, I'm pregnant. The groggy father who had been woken up in the middle of the night communicated forgiveness and love with her. And the next day, he and his wife wrote two separate letters, one from each one of them, to send, console, and and love. Three days later, the father and the mother received another phone call. The letters completely shocked the girl because she said, Dad, Mom, I wasn't the one who called. It was someone else that must have dialed that number. Nonetheless, the father's love, acceptance, forgiveness was not, was not wasted. The expression of understanding, love, and forgiveness has become a treasured possession in this little girl's life. They were expressions. They were heart excerpts. And here's some of the words that the dad said, so I weep inside. I can't condemn you because I've sinned too. Your transgression is no different than mine. It's only, or no worse than mine, it's only different. You see, it all comes from the sin package that we inherited and that you inherited through us. Honey, we're praying so much for you. And we love you more than we can say and respect you always. And remember, God's love is in this. Maybe especially in this. These were words on the letters that were written. This is a day of testing. But our ground must we hold. And in that God, victory will give. We're looking forward to you coming home. Love, Dad. Look at me. Like that father to his daughter said, said, Honey, your sin's no worse than mine. It's just different. 
Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted in every area, yet without sin. He said, what you're going through, I know. Where you've been, I know. The assault you're living under, I know. But he said, it's okay. I am with you. I will never leave. I will never forsake. See that passage that says over in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Right before that, it says these words, and we have taken this so far out of context, it's ridiculous. He says, be content with such things as you have. And we have taken that to be construed as saying, be content if you have no money. Be content if you have money. Be content if you have possessions. Be content if you have no possessions. It has nothing to do with the passage. He said the contentment that you come is that no matter what you do or don't have, where you are or have not been, where you're going or where you're looking at, he said, don't worry, I've already been there, done that. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be there always with you. This is the contentment that I can have. And this is the contentment that keeps your old pastor on top of the world, even though sometimes I feel like I'm under the dung heap. If you're not sure what dung heap means, go look it up. I'm not going to explain it. But the reality is sometimes we feel like the only place we can do is look up. And sometimes it was God that took you there because he couldn't get you to look up any other way. Am I making sense this morning? One of the most amazing things that I know about God is that when we do right the least is when he loves us the most. He understands who we are. He created us. He knows us. He loves us. It is not that we sin that grace might abound, but it's just in our sin he understands who we are, where we've been, what we're doing, but more than anything else, he looks to the Son and says, but I'm living and focusing on what you've done, my child. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that we have an accuser who day and night accuses us before the Father. Let me tell you the picture of it. We have little Julie here, and she messes up. I'm, I'm speaking facetiously. I know that would never happen. Little Julie here messes up. How many think little Julie did a great job singing this morning? I was kind of perplexed if you noticed the microphone stands. I told them they are forbidden to wear high heels in this church. Little Julie here messes up. And God comes to her. Because the devil's beating down his door. She's done this, she's done this, she's done this. And she goes to the father. He says, I'm guilty, God, before you and you only. And then the father looks at the son. And the son says, Dad, it's under the blood. And then the father turns to the devil and says, shut up. You got nothing to say. And that's what God does for every one of us in this room. You see, the devil would love us to believe 
that God has no clue what's happening. Oh, we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast that profession of faith. Faith, Because we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was likewise in all areas, in all areas, say that with me, in all areas, tempted just like I am, yet without sin. And because of that, I can boldly and confidently say, God, I know what I am, I know what I've done. But I cry out to you because I know what you did at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And I come to you for your mercy and grace in my time of need. Somebody shout glory in this house. Let me wrap this up quickly. The 103rd Psalm. David, knowing who he is, says, I bless the holy name of the Lord my God with all my heart. I will bless the Lord, and I'll never forget the glorious things that he's done for me, and he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals me. He ransoms me from hell. And look what it says here. Underline this, please. He surrounds me with his loving kindness and his tender mercies and all the good things of life. Is that the God you serve? Ephesians 1 says, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I'm reading out of the message, Eugene uh, Peterson's translation. Because of the sacrifices of Jesus, he pl- the blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people. Listen to what he says, though. We're free from the penalties and punishments that were chalked up to our misdeeds. And not just barely free, but abundantly free. You see, he is my hope, and I am his heart. There is no place in God's word where he puts a criterion on actions required to deserve his love. Rather, he continually reminds us that his mercy, his love, and his grace are the issue. Titus chapter 3 says it this way, it's not by works of righteousness that I have done, but it's according to his mercy. I love Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. This guy had reason to weep. If you ever want to be somebody that's, that's sat back and said, oh, Lord, help me, because I see what he went through. Read Lamentations. Read the book of Jeremiah. This guy, I don't know if he had a friend other than God. He had to shore himself up many different times. One of my favorite passages is Lamentations 3. Look what it says. He said, this I recall to mind, and in this I have hope. What did he say I have hope in? I understand that it's through the Lord's mercies that I'm not consumed. I understand that his compassions, they never fail, but they are new every morning. And he said these words, I understand his faithfulness is so great. And look what he goes on to say. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Listen to Jeremiah's confidence. He said, everything God has is mine. He is my portion. He is my strength. The psalmist says, he is my present help in time of trouble. And it goes on as uh, Jeremiah finishes, and the Lord is good to those who wait on him and the soul who seeks him. I don't know what this does for you. 
but this sure encourages me. Why? In God, I have hope. Many of us have watched this commercial on TV. I don't even remember what the commercial's about. But there's a little boy that walks up on a stage in this grand concert hall and a great pianist preparing, preparing to do a concert. How many have seen the commercial on the TV? The mom, the dad, that there, they turn just for a moment to look somewhere else and the little boy jumps off there and comes up on the platform onto the stage sitting at the great piano. Starts playing... All together now. The mother is aghast. The father is set back. They, they, they don't know what to do. Do they run to the stage? Do they do this? All of a sudden, the great maestro strolls off the side. They're expecting him to be angry, to be resentful. This little boy has destroyed his concert, but yet the great master comes up, puts one arm on one side of the child, another arm on the other side of the child, and whispers in his ear, don't stop. And the master begins to play a concerto along with the little boy that is so masterful and so wonderful that the whole entire audience breaks into great applause and ovation. Can I tell you the picture that comes to my mind? That your life, though it might seem as simplistic as chopsticks, though it might seem as out of sorts as going to a great concert hall and even try to be a presence, that somehow or another, finally, when you and I decide to come into God's presence, and we sit and try to explain our flaws and our, failed, our, our frailties. But the Lord himself will take one arm to one side, another arm to the other side, and say, don't worry, I got this one. You keep living the life, and I'll turn it into a masterful concert that the world will break into applause. I will take your faltering notes and turn it into a triumphant song of fulfillment, accomplishment, and redemption. Can somebody say amen? Am I doing okay talking to you about how much he loves us? Let me close with this scripture as the worship team comes. Romans chapter 8. I am convinced... Will you say those three words with me? I am convinced. Say it again like you mean it. I am convinced. Listen what the writer writes. That nothing can separate me from his love. Death can't. You know why Paul, I believe in this passage, wrote this? It's because he knew death was the finality of everything we knew. And he knew it was the one thing that we feared more than anything. And I believe when he was talking about how much God loves us, he wanted us to understand, nope, death can't do anything about it. And he starts building from there. He said, life 
Life can't. He said angels won't, and the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away from us. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.